before we begin. As usual, let us all take a moment to remind ourselves the purpose of us being here, as well as the infinite virtues, the infinite compassion, and the infinite mercifulness of the undefeated, the unvanquished, the unfathomable teacher, guide, and savior of all humanity. We are here because of him, because of his teaching, and because of his disciples who have taken it upon themselves to fulfill their part and along the way help all other sentient beings achieve the same. So reminding ourselves of the nobleness of the Noble Triple Gem, let us bring our hands together in veneration of the Fully Awakened One, the Enlightened One, the Blessed One, the Supreme Buddha. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhassa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhassa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhassa Last time we came together, I reminded all of you the significance, the importance of putting what you learn here into practice. No other way will you be able to reap the benefits of not only what you learn here, but also the merits that you have done in all of sansara in the name of nirvana. The merits is a very funny thing. It puts the man behind the door, but it, they can only open the door if you knock on it. You got to knock. But merits will make sure that there's someone behind the door to open it when you knock. If you don't knock, then there's no point in a whole army of men behind a closed door. They're waiting to open the door for you, but you need to knock. That is what our teachers do for us. They remind us of this truth. They tell us how to make use of what we've got. I cannot transfer my merits to you. No one can do that and you can't transfer your merits to me either. So you might ask me, what do we do in a minute transfer then? That's just a word that we use to describe something more complex in a very simple man's term. Because you see, when we talk about merit transfer, we talk about it to a 
to an audience, and I don't necessarily mean yourselves at this point, to a people who look at the world in a very two-dimensional way. So for them, there is you and there is me. There is he and there is she. There is us and there is them. So any transaction has to happen between two parties. You understand that, don't you? So even in the case of merits, it has to transfer from one to another. Blessings have to transfer one from one to another. That is how the world survives. That is how the world is constructed. Money transfers from hand to hand. Good grace transfers from hand to hand. Favors, they go from hand to hand. Everything goes from hand to hand. And behind each hand is an arm, and behind each arm is the owner of that arm. So there's an individual to whom everything belongs, including merits. So if I have merits, and you need merits, in a very two-dimensional, in a very rudimentary, in a very preliminary perspective of life that we might take, we'll say, I am transferring my merits to you. Please, would you transfer some of yours to me? That is not quite how it all works, but it's safe enough. And it helps keep the world in motion. And it encourages people to do good deeds, get together, share and care. So all that good stuff happens as a result. So when we do a merit transfer at the end of one of these talks, I need you to take a step further. We're not talking about anybody's merits in particular. We're not talking about merits that belong to anybody. There is nothing in this world that belongs to anybody. Hopefully I'll be able to help you further understand that today. There is nothing in this world that belongs to anybody, let alone merits. What is merits? It's energy. If you are energy, then anything you produce is also energy. Like breeds like. Any matter you make can be reduced to energy. Energy can be transformed to appear or give the appearance of matter. It's an aggregation of energy after all. Sorry, I didn't think it would get so heavy right at the start in the morning, but hey ho. You come here with merits. What can I do? You know these sermons are not scripted, don't you? I don't have it written at the back of this. I'm not reading it. But somehow, there must be at least someone here in this room whose merit power is fierce, strong enough, vital enough for these words to be uttered in this way. I don't know who that is. Perhaps it's all of us together. Maybe it's me. I'm so good at piggybacking other people's merit. Of course, if you give, you get. 
right? So who hears these words first? Right, of course. Sorry about that. I hear these words in my mind and then I struggle to translate them into words that you understand. But it is the, it is the perception of the Dhamma that liberates us, not its exposition in words. Because it's the meaning behind the word that is far more important. So I don't know whether what I'm describing to you is exactly what I have understood right now in this moment. And I don't know what effect it has on you either. So I'm saying something which I hope you'll understand as I do, whether you understand it that way or not. Well, we shall all have to leave it to merits. Whose merits again? Indeed. Now, what I want you to start to do, ladies and gentlemen, is to make a genuine attempt, a genuine effort to stop yourself from seeing this world as a world that belongs to he, she and it and try and read, interpret the world as matter and energy. Ultimately, that is what it is. Your journey to Nibbana begins and ends there. When we are able to see all things as equal, when we are able to understand that there is no separation between anything, that itself is your liberation. Because think for a moment, anytime you feel that you like something, it's because you have separated it from the lot. And anytime you feel that you dislike something, yet again, it's because you have separated it from the lot. Both liking and disliking are a result of ignorance, of delusion. You've heard the words raga, dvesha and moha. Desire, aversion and delusion. Delusion is your understanding that in this world where, in this existence, in this, in this, where everything is the same, you can separate something out and then you can either like it or you dislike it. But they are both extensions of an underlying problem, which is your sense that it can be separated. Now, last week, you saw the flying birds. Yes, the murmuration. And then you called out what you saw on the screen. Remember? So initially I asked you all to spot anything peculiar, anything interesting. And then you all made a list of some of the things. You made a mental note of what you saw. Then we put them on the board. And the next time round, you all saw most of them, I believe. Right? But initially, not very many of you saw all of them and which was expected. But in the end, I asked you the question, so was it the ostrich that turned into the dragon? Was it the dragon that then went on to become the boot? And was it the boot that went on to become the cheetah? And you were speechless. But that didn't stop you from seeing the dragon, nor the cheetah, nor the boot. You saw all of them, but where did they go?
So then who are you? You check yourself out in the mirror every morning, hopefully. Just jesting. So when you stand in front of that mirror, right, you trim yourself up, prop yourself up, make sure you are presentable enough to everybody else, right? You can't help yourself from feeling that there is, there is an individual that, whose reflection I see in the mirror. And it's important how that individual represents him or herself to the rest of the world because you know, the way you look in front of a group of people, in front of someone, anyone really, does it not matter to you at all? I'm, I mean at this stage, right? At this stage, does it not matter to you? Why do you, why do you, gentlemen, why do you, why do you shave? Why do I have to shave? You know, it's because of you. Because otherwise you might not be interested. You might not be interested in coming here, sitting down, listen to this sermon. Why do you have to put on your makeup? Why do you have to do up your hair? Why do you have to make sure that you look the part? It's, it's because you care about the way you present yourself. I don't mean, you know, as a society, social norms, right, etiquette. We have, there's a way that we have to present ourselves to society. Given, that is granted. I'm not talking about that. It matters to you, not just others. It matters to you how you look to others. That is because you have an image that belongs to you. This is your image. And in a moment, I'll ask you to represent that in a certain way. And then we'll see what other people think about it. There's an image that you represent, or that, an image that represents you. And you care a lot about that image. Do you not care about your image? If I were to pick your clothes, would you be happy with that? Hmm? So gentlemen in the house, I'm going to choose a frock and a wig and let's get some mascara, hmm? dress them up a bit. You think, is this fancy dress? No, it's not. This is what we fancy you dress. <laughs> you know, that would be quite embarrassing. Imagine if I, if I dressed you up in that way and asked you to take the bus to the town center. You wouldn't do it even if I probably held a gun to your head because it's very important how you present yourself. You know, if you have long hair, that's an important part of your identity. No? Shall I prove it to you? <laughs> Bring me those scissors. <laughs> Any volunteers? Equally, if you have a bob cut, that's equally important to you. If you have braided hair, that's important to you. It is part of your identity. Meaning, whatever you see as your image, you individualize it. You personify it. It becomes your identity. If you can break free from that defilement, I can give you a fast track ticket 
to the Brahma worlds. How's that for size? If you can free yourself from this attachment, from this bond, from this oneness that you feel with your physical appearance, with your physique, if you can break yourself free from that, you don't have to come to this sensual world again. You're free. And if you're able to do that, then you're free from all of the pain and the suffering that comes along with this bundle that you bring with you. It comes as a bundle, doesn't it? comes as a package. I'll ask you a few questions just to get you in the mood hmm, to have this discussion. Right, put your virtual arms up. So I don't need you to put your hand up. You can put your virtual arms up. Will I be able to see you when, I, when you put your virtual arm up? No, I won't be able to see you. You can see yourself. All right? Nobody else sees you. All right. Put your virtual arm up if you suffer from migraines. Oh, those terrible things, eh? You know it if you have it. Hmm? Hmm. Do you remember the last toothache you had? When you had a bad tooth? And when the dentist said, open your mouth, I said, you better, you better sort this out. Or oh, you ain't be closing your mouth by the time I leave. Huh? And when they went tap, 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 is that the one? <laughs> Don't you try that again, dentist. <laughs> what about a backache? You know when they, get, when they come. Hmm? What about knee aches? When your knees start to give you trouble. What about when you have an allergy, an allergic reaction, and it takes over everything? Just something so denying as a screen rash, particularly if you have it somewhere where it's hard to reach. How about that? Imagine if you had one now on your back, and you're now, you have to be here in, in an audience. How does that feel? You can free yourself from all that. You know, you asked for this. That's why you got it. The most basic interpretation of Parichasamuppada is you get what you ask for. You've heard this saying, asking and eating. It's a very lovely saying we have in Sinhalese. Asking and eating. Yes. The simplest explanation of Patichasampada, you get what you ask for. Your deeds determine what you're going to get. You can free yourself from all this, from all the pain that you have to go through. And you know, time is only going to make things worse for you. And then think about some of the problems you might have had in the past. Maybe you have a physical ailment which you are struggling with. If you ever experience appendicitis, 
Well, that was only once, but you remember what it was like. Any mother here who's experienced childbirth, the delivery of a child, you know what it feels like. <clears throat> Fortunately, in this birth, God saved me that. But you know what that's like. The thing is, one didn't stop you, you went for the second. That didn't stop you, you went for the third. But, you know, if, if childhood wasn't so bad, wasn't so physically exerting, you know, what if you could just, if you wanted a child, you just go, I wish I had a child. And right next to you is a child. Wouldn't that be nice? Mothers? There are places where that happens. No, I can't take you there. You have to go here by yourself. If you or you, you, if you or someone you know has a cancer, and they're trying to come to terms with that, you know this is all because of this. It's not your mind that is that has got that. It's your body, but you can't free yourself from that body. All this because you feel that this body, this physique, this image represents you. And if you die with that, you're going to come back with one again. My effort is to try and help you free yourself at least from that. I mean, that in itself is going to be a huge victory. You carry around with you a weapon, a tool for punishment, don't you? And even if you put aside all that, you have to feed yourself, you have to clean yourself, you have to mend it when it breaks, you have to rest it. On there days, sometimes where you have some work you need to get done, but you're feeling too tired, too sleepy, and you wish you didn't feel that way, huh? then you try a cup of tea, then you try a cup of coffee, then you try some Red Bull, you try whatever you've got, right? And then when all that fails, you've got no choice. Well, there's this submission deadline is tomorrow, but you just can't keep your eyes open because you're too tired, it's too exhausting. Then what do you have to do? Go sleep. Cursing yourself, you go sleep. This is all because of this package that you brought with you, and you can be free from that. What is required is for you to understand that this is simply matter. What you are is simply matter. There's an energy called the mind that's keeping all of it together, but that is all it is. I need you to start to see yourself in those terms. You know, when you go in front of the mirror, look at yourself from a different perspective. Take a new perspective. Before you listened to the Dhamma, you went in front of the mirror, you looked yourself up and you thought, do I look presentable to others? Now ask yourself the question, do I look presentable to the Buddha? Do I look presentable to myself? Is this who I want to be? Am I seeing what I want to see in the mirror? You know, walking in front of the mirror can itself be a meditation practice.
You will feel that it is you in the mirror, but see if you can read it in a different light. See if you can spot the truth. That will set you free. And it's because people are struggling to do that. All sorts of problems happen and all sorts of problems bother them. And, you know, life becomes very difficult. We talked about the carrot the other day. You still remember that, hopefully. The same carrot can go into making two bodies and then you identify them as separate bodies, separate individuals. But it was the same carrot. So if it was one at one point, how, where at one, which point did it become two? Now let's see if we can do that as an activity so that you can understand better, hopefully, what I'm trying to get across to you. So here with me, I have uh, some building blocks. All right, all right, children, don't get excited. Let's go back to uh, primary school, eh? Now I need them all returned. You can't take them home with you. Okay. Right. Let's pass this around. I don't know if you'll have enough to go around, but uh, let's see, okay? Why don't you take... Um, I doubt we're going to have enough to go around today, but let's see. Take, uh, take three pieces, one from... You'll have to take one from the take one from that bag and two from the green bag. Right. So while while that's happening, eventually it'll get to you if we have enough merit. If not, I'll leave leave three for me so I can demonstrate it to the rest of the rest of you and also for the people online. Right. So when you get a few of these. What I want you to do is to use the pieces that you have in your hand and put these blocks together in a way that represents you. Put them together in a way that represents you. Something that represents you. So don't ask me what is the right way to do it. I don't know that. You understand what I'm saying? So you have three pieces. Okay. Use them. And put, to, put them together in a way that represents you. And don't look at what the other person's done. Just like primary school.
You never thought you'd come to the temple and play with building blocks, did you? We take going back to basics very seriously here, in its literal sense. Right, almost there? Okay. Now, do you have a figure that represents you? You can use your image, just be as imaginative as you like, be as creative as you like. If you have any leftovers, we can pass to the Anagarika Mahatmyas. They should be getting used to that now. Hmm? Subsistence living, hmm? living on the edge. Right? Okay, do. Now hold it up. Let's see what you got. So that's you, is it? So are you are you confident that represents you? Hmm? You happy with that? Any second thoughts? Do you want to have another go? Maybe ask God for a second chance? <laughs> okay. Right. Now, that is what represents you. Okay. So for those on behind the camera, I've put one here together. Right. So this represents me. So this is your identity now. Okay, this is your identity. So anything that happens to this. Have you seen voodoo dolls? They use it in black magic. Hmm? So anything that happens to this, happens to you. Okay, because this is you. You decided that this is what you wanted to be. But it's just some part. This is your making. This is who you are. So when you see, when you look in the mirror, this is what you see. This is you. All right. Okay, now hand it over to the person sat next to you, please. Carefully. Swap it. Swap it, swap it around with the person sat next to you. Hmm? Yeah, anyone. Just, it doesn't matter. But you should be able to see them, ideally. The person you have swapped this with, you should be able to see them. Right, now any weapons you might have on you, please put them away. We don't want any bloodshed here. <laughs> okay? Right, now hold it up. So who are you holding now in your hand? Ah, oh, see? Come on, sir. You dropped it. Terrible. Who did you swap it with? Right. So now he has a personal grudge. Okay. You can take it, sort it out once you leave. All right. Right. So, hold it in your hand. Right. Now, 
the person to whom this belongs must be able to see you and see what you're going to do to this. Okay, ready? Hmm? Right. Let's see. I want you to pat it softly. Now, how does that make you feel? It's good, isn't it? Hmm? And and hold it very, 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 you know, like cuddle it. Give it a good embrace. Keep it warm. And show it to the person to whom it belongs. Because this is their personality. This is them. Okay. See how how much care and love uh, you're you're giving it. Not talking about the gentleman there who dropped it. Okay. So now, what would you call the person that's doing this to you right now? A friend, of course. Why do you call them a friend? Because they're doing nice things to you. And you reciprocate, don't you? You do the same to them. They do what you like to you, you do what you like to them. So we are now what? Friends. Huh? Enough of all this friendship now. You know what's coming. Hmm? Right. Behead them. Now show it to them. Show them the two pieces separately. Put it back together. Put it back together. <clears throat> and as they look at it, asking them to look at it. Okay? So, so first, I want one of you to do it first. Okay? So one of you, of the pair, right? Look at the other person and go. Right, now the other person. Can you feel the anger? Do you sense the revenge, the need to take revenge? Now take it, take it all apart. Now, while it's all in your hand, right? Bang those pieces against each other. All right, you can stop now. So what happened? So hold them in your hand for a second. You can relax, right? Keep it with you for a moment. What's happening? Think about what's happening. This represents you. You have made it yours. When you put it together and you said, this is me, this is mine. I put this together. This belongs to me. This represents me. Right? Now this becomes part of you. Part of yourself. And then you handed it over to somebody else. Now you expect them to treat it kindly and nicely and gently. And when they did, when they did not what they want, when they did what you want them to do, you call them a friend. But once they started to do 
once they started to cause havoc and rip it apart hmm, voraciously and mercilessly, how did that make you feel? Now I know, you know, we're just playing about here, but just think about it in real life. You know, this represents, what we just did there represents what happens out there in every single way. Here, you know, I know this is just a classroom activity, but does this not represent what happens out there? Every time you went mad, was it not because, I mean, let's say 75% of the time, it was because someone did something to you. Well, actually, 100% of the time it was, but someone did either something that was you or something that belonged to you, either to me or something that belongs to me. All that was because this you feel and you perceive as something that represents you. This is you. This is your identity. Now, where did it all come from, though? All these pieces, where did they come from? It came from the bag, didn't it? Before it was in the bag, or before it came into your hand and it was in the bag, did it belong to anybody? But now you feel that it belongs to you. You know what I'm going to ask you to do in a moment. I'm going to ask you to return it into the bag. You are not allowed to take any of that away. Meaning, who does it belong to? It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to me. Because I'm God. I gave you the pieces. You using your energy, because each of you have a mind, and you, that mind, those, dis, those thoughts, those what we call drushti, your views determine what, that want, what they needed to look like. That is what determined the shape. The shape of me. Huh? That is what determined what it was going to look like. Now you've taken it all apart. Right? And of course, before that, you swapped it with the person sat next to you. And now you feel that the other person is holding you. Because that is, that is what you identify with. <clears throat> now, here's what I want you to do. Those pieces that you hold in your hand now. Okay? I want you to... So the two of you that as a pair, right? get it all together, so you'll have six pieces in total, just in one, one pool, one bottle. Any one of you can do that. So half of you in the room will have six pieces at the end of this, okay? Done? Right, now I want you to close your eyes and give it a good mix. So while you're giving it a good mix, don't look at what you're doing. All right? Okay, stop. Right. Now, the person who's got it in their hand, please return three pieces of your choosing to the other person. Okay? Now, are they the same pieces? Are they different pieces? Are they the same pieces? Or are they different pieces? They're just pieces. Because it all came from the same pool. 
whilst it was with you, you gave it a specific arrangement. You talked about arrangement last time. You gave it an arrangement. That arrangement changed in somebody else's hand. In other words, changed in the, when it was in the power of another mind. That is what happened. Then returned to the same source. I, I could have sent the background and said, can you all please return those pieces? But it would have taken twice as much time to do that, which is why I said, let's just bring it all together. And then you've been given your uh, three pieces back again. Not your pieces, you've been given the three pieces back again. Now, once again, I want you to put something together that represents you. Put those three pieces back together in a way that represents you. Doesn't have to be the same as last time. Done? Okay, show me what you've got. Now, this is your identity. How so? Who put this together? You put it together. You worked on this. This is your making. This is what you like. This is what you put together. So this is now your identity. Where did it come from? From the bag. Where did it go? Last time round, into the bag. Where is it going to go in a moment? Back into the bag. So if you were to repeat what we just did a moment ago, right? Do that to it, you'll feel good. Especially if it's done by somebody else, you'll feel they're your friend. Huh? If they give it a warm cuddle, a nice embrace, you'll feel even better. You'll feel love, you'll feel affection. These are some of the lovely words that people use. Affection, love, huh? kindness, and so on. But if they start taking it apart, breaking it apart, now, you feel animosity, you feel anger, some might even experience hatred. This is what's going on out there. Now I want you all to return them into the bag, please. Where's that bag gone? Put the green pieces back into, the, into one of the bags and the others back into the other bag. So when the bag comes to you, kindly return those pieces. And I'll take a count. What do I have in me, with me? <laughs> I have all of you, huh? After all, this is you. This is you. This is where you came from, and this is where you returned. Whilst this was with you, you did all sorts of things with it. What you did was use energy to do what you wanted to do with the pieces that I gave you. Because you, each of you is a source of energy. Just like the sun is a source of energy, you are a source of energy. Your mind is a source of energy. And that mind transformed this matter into something that represented you. 
But see where you've all ended in the end. It's all here. Now where's black and white? Now where's Asian and Caucasian? Now where are the Sinhalese and the Tamils? Huh? Now where's the men and the women? I dare you, if any of you can find the piece that you had in your hand earlier, in this bag, I'll give you a free ordination. Gentlemen, anyone? But you have to find that very piece. Nonsense. Utter nonsense. Where's all that separation now? So you see, the only separation there was, was whilst it was in your hand, whilst it was with you, these pieces, there's an energy within you, but that energy can be defiled. You have defiled energy. I don't. I'm God. You are all children of God. I'm God. See? When it comes to me, it's all the same. I don't discriminate. When it's with me, there are no differences. They're all the same. When you're in my garden, you're all my children. But when you leave the garden, now you separate things out for yourselves. Then you have black people and white people, Asian people, Indian people. You have German people and the Spaniards. I don't necessarily mean which country they come from. I'm talking about how you perceive them as very different people. You see races, you see color. Where's all that? Where are the males in this bag? Tell me. Where are the females in this bag? What, the pink ones? Come on now. Where are the criminals? Tell me, where are the criminals? Where are the good people? Where are those who observe sill every poor day and those who steal every other day? Where are the murderers? Hmm? Where are the looters and the philanderers? Where are the beggars and the rich men? Show me. Where are the rich people? Where are the beggars? Where are those who have and those who don't have? Where are the Christians and the Muslims? Tell me. Where are the Hindus and the Buddhists? They were all there only when they were in your hand. Because if that was you, in your hand, and it represented you, 
If I had asked the question, what religion is it? You would have had an answer. Yes or no? If I asked you what sex is it? You would have had an answer. If I asked you how old is it? You would have had an answer. If I had asked you black or white? You would have had an answer. If I asked you Sinhalese or Tamil? You would have given me an answer. And let's just imagine if the person sat next to you was Tamil and you are Sinhalese. Now you swap the two around and then when he started taking it apart, hmm? see, where are the friends and where are the foes? When it's with God, it's all the same. This is the source. This is the source of pure energy. We're all the same. What separates us is what you believe separates us. All the attributes that you attached to those representations that you built, are they inherent in them? If so, I should be able to put them back all together in the way that you determine. Should I, shouldn't I? If, if what you put together was male, I should now be able to dip my hand into this bag and pick out the male ones and separate them out from the female ones, shouldn't I? But can I do so? Of course not, because that separation was only a separation in your hands. By hands, of course, I mean in your mind. Think about this, ladies and gentlemen. I want you to start to see life in a different light. All these separations that we sense among, between ourselves is because of what your mind does. It's nothing to do with reality. But that separation is what makes you feel attached to something, what makes you feel desiring of something, as well as what makes you feel aversion towards something. It is that separation that you feel. If something's like you, you like it. If something's different to you, you dislike it. You know, in your club, in your society, who do you have? People like me. So now each club has to gather members of people who are like them so that each of them can fight for their rights. Tell me, is this not what goes on in society? Every group, you know, groups of people, each fighting for their rights. Meaning, give us what you gave them. That's what they're saying. Yeah, give us what you gave them. If you take it away from them, then take it away from us, it's fine. Right? We are happy to sacrifice if they are also sacrificing. But if you're going to give it to them, we need to get it also. You know, so much so that people don't like when someone else gets something. Get something good, get something positive. Because if they don't have it, then nobody should have it. <laughs> if I'm going to be at a loss, then so should others. All because of separation. All because of what your mind does. This is how ignorance defies the mind. So this is the next step from what we discussed last week. Last week I wanted to show you how it's the same things that go on to make these different shapes 
right? And your projection is what represents them in those different shapes. But what is the actual application of that? Well, today you've seen. Where do you apply that knowledge? Knowledge put into action is power. Knowledge in itself is just knowledge. You are rich today if you are because of the knowledge that you put into action. You learn something at school, you learn something at uni, you learn something at the workplace, and then you put it into action. Right? That was what brought you results. So hopefully this activity has given you a glimpse into what happens out there in society. And perhaps something that maybe you are guilty of. Unbeknown to you, these things will happen because once separate, when separation happens in the mind, you can't help seeing the world in this way. So what separates us? What you believe separates us. Separates us. All differences are perceived differences. All identity is a perceived identity. So why am I doing this sermon? So I can change your drushti. I can change your views. It is the mind that does all this separation. What am I doing here? I'm trying to change the way you think. Now, did you not experience love and hate a moment ago? That's why you say, you know, love is as vulgar as hate. Hate is not just, it is not just hate that is vulgar. It is not just hate that is bad. Well, love is just as bad. You know, if a, if a, if a mother sufficiently motivated for the protection of her child can kill or can hurt another child, every child is a, every person is a child, isn't he? Or she? Everyone has a mother, everyone has a father, however, whatever age they are. If a mother can be sufficiently motivated to take the life of another child to save her child, you can't tell me that is done in the name of love. That is not love. That is partisan love. Love to one party means hate to another. See, I invite you, ladies and gentlemen, to start, you know, Broaden those horizons. Start thinking afresh. Now, be an advanced species. That is what I urge you to be. An advanced species. It is not your knowledge of science or biology, physics, chemistry or math that's going to get you there. It is not your understanding of complex economic models that is going to make you an advanced species. It is not your understanding of business or commerce that's going to make you an advanced species or even technology. You know you can't keep up with technology. That is not what's going to make you an advanced species. Your understanding of the truth is what makes you an advanced species. I mean, otherwise an elephant is more advanced than you. You can't pull trunks, can you? You don't have the energy for that. 
You can't fell huge, large trees, can you? An elephant can do that. You can't. So in, in which case, an elephant is more advanced than you. Are you happy to accept that? You'll have to, if that is what you deem to be the characteristic of an advanced species, the ability to push and pull, the ability to pull weight. So equally, if you believe the ability to work some numbers out, the ability to balance an equation, the ability to send a rocket to the moon, if you believe is what makes you an advanced species, then <laughs> why do we call ourselves humans? Our defining characteristic should be our understanding of the truth, our understanding of reality. So I ask you to broaden your horizons. Start seeing the world as it really is. Whatever separates you is simply your belief. Your projections of separation is what you perceive as separation and nothing more. See, now everyone lives in unity and harmony. You know, all this came out of this bag and now they're all back together. In unity and perfect peace and harmony. But in your hands they weren't. Because they were separate. So think not about what divides you. Think what, think what unites you. So this activity was intended to give you an, an, give you an insight as to how your mind works. And then apply this knowledge when you're out there. Now you will see these separations, you will experience these separations in and amongst yourselves. And when you do, take a moment to remind yourself of what we learned here. Take a moment to remind of what you watched last week. Take a moment to reflect on anicca. Because that is what I'm teaching you here. In very simple terms. I don't bring here the Tripitaka and read the scripture from that out to you. I teach it to you in very simple terms. Even the young children here can understand this. Because this doesn't have to be complex. If you understand this, you can be happy forever. Work out how much balance money you need to get from the shopkeeper. You can be happy at that moment. But understand this, you can be happy forever. Even if you can get the qualification you need to get yourself a job, you can be happy in the moment that you're given the job. After you start doing the job, all happiness go, down, go out the window. But understand this truth, you can be happy forever, as I am. The truth sets you free. <clears throat> This is why I keep on saying, you know, suffering is your own making. So, you know, things will happen when, when you're out there. People will bump into you. Recognize that it's not someone bumping into me. Recognize that this is just matter and energy. But as we live in society, there's a certain way in which we must conduct ourselves. That's what we call decorum. The way we conduct ourselves. Etiquette. Socially acceptable behavior and socially unacceptable behavior. That is because that is a societal norm. And that is why when you go to different countries, different cultures, they have different ways of doing things. In some cultures, it's 
offensive to extend your arm to, to do a shake hand or a handshake. In other countries, other cultures, you know, you got to go full on and give a good embrace. Even when it's strangers. I used to live in Oman for a period of my life. And you know, the men, when they meet each other, they bring their noses together. Can you believe? That is how they greet each other. They bring their noses together and make a, a very peculiar noise as they do so. You know, that is the way that they greet each other and they, they embrace each other. If you go to Spain, it's full on. They give a good hug. In some cultures, you know, they'll give a kiss on the cheek. That is how they greet. We have a way we greet, don't we? Are you born? We bring our hands together. That is the way we greet. <clears throat> but those are all conventions. So once we learn how people of that community behave, we must adhere to that. So this is not an excuse or a license for you to go do whatever the heck you want out there. You've got to conform to whatever society expects of you. Otherwise, you know, there'll be war. There'll be mayhem. We don't want that. In the Buddha's own words, he says, understand the truth, understand reality, realize the truth, but be willing and prepared to be flexible and conform to your society. Behave as you ought to be, as you should be behaving in that setting. That we learn from school. That our parents will teach us. That society will teach us. A rude stare might remind you that's not what you should be doing and <clears throat> might remind you that's not what you should be doing but that is when we behave in society but our minds should be able to grasp and understand the truth reality which is nothing is different everything's the same all that separates us is what you believe separates you that's it i need you to be in that mindset to be in that frame of mind, I need you to be constantly, as much as possible, read the world in those, in those words. Look at the world through that lens. Because that is you being in Yoniso Manasikara. When you are in Yoniso Manasikara, you are in the Manasikara of Nibbana. When asked by the Buddha, or when asked from the Buddha, Venerable Sir, what do you say is Nibbana? And the Buddha replies, Raga Kyo Nibbana, Vesha Kyo Nibbana, Moha Kyo Nibbana. I have just explained to you the origins of Raga, Vesha and Moha. Your perception of something being separate and different from something else, this individualism, this, this identification as an individual, you know, that is the source of Moha, delusion. Once that happens, now you have things you like and things you don't like. Raga and Dvesha. So if Raga ke, Dvesha ke, Moha ke is Nibbana, the eradication of desire, aversion and delusion, 
your understanding of this and your reflection of which is going to take you towards nibbana now when you see people behave without this understanding you need to have compassion towards them so don't you be going around saying yeah, these idiots they don't even know the dhamma <laughs> don't be like that then there's a bigger idiot in the room the dhamma is not to be not to scorn somebody it's not a weapon to claim to be you know to to get on your moral high horse that's not what the dhamma is for it's not it's not uh, your authority to claim that you are better than somebody else that's not what the dhamma is for because if you do that then you haven't understood the slightest bit after all you should be able to see that friend and foe enemy and friend yeah, they're all the same thing that is what i've just proved proven to you so if someone does a bad deed yeah someone does something some injustice to you okay i ask you how must you read that situation this is your you know this is practical application grasp this and you will be free let's say someone accuses you of whatever infidelity whatever someone accuses you of dishonesty someone accuses you of theft someone accuses you of being a cheat that might upset you someone accuses you or someone says you're ugly look at you you're ugly if we don't teach this to our children you know what they go through in schools don't you i have known school children who've gone on to commit suicide because they felt so little you know in the midst of peer pressure because their friends mocked the way they looked see where do we treat these problems i ask you without the dhamma where you treat these problems you find the people who are the bullies typically where do people try and solve these problems how do people try and solve these problems who are the bullies let's find the bullies the bullies who mock hmm? the bullies who walk around saying hey fatso hey ugly duck and various other names You remember what you were called at school, don't you? I used to be the tall one at school. So they called me Otua. What if you had a lazy eye? I don't want to offend anyone so you can think of you, yourself what might you have been called or what you might have called someone who had a lazy eye what if someone had a short leg hmm? what if someone had a hunched back what if someone had some gray hair on their head or what if someone always had a flimmy throat Remember what you call them? 
Perhaps it was very innocent, you thought at least. But they felt bullied. Mental bullying. You don't touch them, but they felt bullying. I'm not even talking about the physical bullying. I'm not talking about taking them to a corner and beating them up hmm? or trying to snatch their money from them, lunch money. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the mental bullying. I'm asking you, ladies and gentlemen, this room of learned and educated and well-brought-up citizens of Sri Lanka, I ask you, where do you think we ought to fix that problem? Find the bullies and sort them out? Where are you going to stop it? How, where is it going to end? <clears throat> That's not a battle you can ever win. You can stop a child being bullied once, but that's only when you're looking. But what about when you're looking away? You can't stop it then. But if you can give a child the Dhamma, if they don't relate themselves to their bodies, if they don't feel that this is me, these physical attributes are simply, this is, this is simply an arrangement of matter. My short leg is not necessarily something that represents me. It's just a short leg. That's all it is. This lazy eye is just a lazy eye. This hunchback is just a hunchback. I don't identify myself as an individual with it. See, now you've set that child free forever. For that they have to understand the truth though. That is why we are always so keen on giving people the gift of Dhamma. We are not trying to stop social injustice. Have you ever seen us try and do that? Have you ever seen us going around saying, stop taking drugs, stop taking drugs. Hmm? Incarcerate the drug dealers. Oh, you'd never see me say that. You'll never hear me say that. You'll never see me holding a placard in my hand, walking down town hall. Huh? Sort out the drug dealers. No. That's why in Buddhism, it's not about letting go. It's understanding the truth whereby you realize there is nothing to let go. There is nothing to be done forcefully. <laughs> I can't stop this laugh because it's so liberating. Just reflecting on the truth. I can't stop myself from giggling because it's just so... This, is, this feels good. It is the truth that will set you free. So it's worthwhile investing part of our time in giving as many people as possible the gift of Dhamma. Look at these young children here. You know, they're sat in a sermon, the same sermon that maybe a 60, 70, 80 year old is sat in. They will never face the same problems that you do at age 70. Because by the time they're age 17, they'll be free. What you could never do in your life, what you were never able to do in your life. Why? Because you were busy studying maths and science and physics and economy and geography and biology. You just didn't have the time to study the truth. <clears throat>
And I have a lot of respect for their parents and elders and adults and you know, people who bring them here. Do, do they not understand the activity that we just did? Do I did you not understand what we just did there with the building blocks? Of course. This is not complicated. How can the truth be complicated? Only a lie can be complicated. Because you know what they say, right? To cover up one lie, you need to say a hundred more. Right? So you've got to make it complicated. Every single time it becomes complicated, compounded. But the truth stands on its own. Doesn't need any support. The truth stand on, stands on its own. So whenever you see social injustice, you might think that there is social injustice. Maybe, you know, uh, injustice to women, injustice to men, injustice to children. I need you to start, you know, you can, there is something you can do. Do that. The rest of the world will do what they think they can do. But there's something you can do that they can never think of doing. See if you can touch that mind and make a difference. You're all people who are influential in society. You, you all can do something. You know, if not a mass group of people, at least your family, you can make a change. If you do something with your child, if you teach your child to be, you know, to be, if you help your child to understand the truth, one day they'll go into society and they'll make that change on your behalf. Do that. If you're a teacher and you have five students in your class, share with them a little bit of the truth. Give them math, give them science, of course, they need that to survive, but give them a bit of the truth. If you're a doctor and a patient comes to you for treatment, give them the treatment that they need, but then treat them. Just a little bit. Don't talk about the Buddha, they'll kick you out. Talk about the science. Don't talk about the truth. Don't talk about the Buddha. They'll tell you there's no place for religion here. They'll say you're trying to proselytize them. So don't talk about Buddhism. Don't, don't even talk about Buddhism. Don't talk about Islam. Don't talk about any religion. Just talk about the truth. Talk about the science. Because everyone out there is not the Saranangana, science Saranangwaran, right? Of course. So be it. I speak to you in this manner because I know each of you, you know, you can make a change in society. I'm not talking about grand scale changes. I'm talking about, you know, make that small change so that you can leave a legacy when you go. The great elder Sariputta, he left a legacy. All great men, they leave a legacy. Not their name. Their name is not the legacy. We're not interested in a tombstone that says, you know, lies here is this man, that man, that man. He got a PhD from here, you know, got the BSc from there, MSc <laughs> from here. Who's interested in all that? Because there's always going to be someone who's going to be better than you. But if you can leave a legacy, leave something that helps other people be free. 
You know, greatness is not something you become. By helping other people think that you are great. Great is something you become when you help other people become great. So help other people become great. A lot of good people will walk into your life. Help them take one step further from goodness to greatness. People who do lots of bad things will walk into your life. Help them go, help them go from bad to good. And once they're good, help them grow from good to great. That is your legacy. Count your success by the number of hearts you've healed. When you leave this place once and for all, count your success by the number of hearts you have healed. By the number of fires that you have extinguished. That should be your success story. When someone reads your eulogy one day, what would you like them to say? Here lives a man who was very well educated. He went to Oxford. And then he went to work at NASA. And then they built a rocket for him. And then he went to the moon. Along the way, he bumped into Mars. And then they made a crash landing. And then there he planted the flag and uttered some great words. Lest humanity should forget. Is that what you want to be read at a eulogy? How about they don't talk about you? They talk about what you left for the world. Hmm? How about that? You want to be someone who gets talked about by your name? Or do you want to be someone who gets talked about by, the, by your deeds? Think. Put for thought. Have a think. Our Guru Handra is very keen on standing up men and women, just like yourselves, just like us, all of us, so that he can we can carry the truth, the Dhamma, for time to come. He's not interested in people finding out who he is or what his name is. Even. That's why he doesn't even go by his name. It's not the name that matters, it's the deed that matters. See, when he's gone, and if people come here, what they'll see is what he has done. If they'll, they might ask, who did this? Sorry, we don't have a name. All we have is Guru Hound. What was his real name? Hmm, actually, can't remember. His name hardly gets spoken on this soil. Just goes by the name of Guru Hamdru. And he wants all of us to be a Guru Hamdru. See? What that means is, he doesn't want to be known by his name when he's gone. He wants to be known by 
with deeds. Because it is those deeds that has done this, that has reaped this fruit. So any gratitude you have towards him and what effort he has made, he has done and he continues to do, I think I ask, all I ask, I would ask you to do is carry on that legacy. You know, be a member of this Kalanaveta, the Arya Kalanaveta, the noble Kalanaveta, this noble lineage. We are, you know, we should be carriers of the truth. That's what we should do. Because there are people out there who are suffering tremendously. You know that more than I do because you come across, you face them, situations, people with problems. You know, if you're an employer and you have employees working for you, you know the problems that they have to go through, don't you? All the grievances that they bring to you, how their husband's ill-treating them, hmm? how their wife has another affair, and how they're struggling with that, or how their children won't listen to them. You're, you're all, in the, all on the receiving end of all that. You get to hear all that. You get to, get to hear all these stories. I think you can do something more than just giving them their pay packet at the end of the month. I think so. I think you can give them something to think. Something to understand what has happened to them and how they can free themselves from that position. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remind you that you can all be agents of change. Don't underestimate your power. You're in a very powerful position because you have now tapped into the source of truth. So let the truth flow through you. As it cleans you, as it heals you, as it fixes you, allow it to flow through you and do the same to somebody else. I'm not saying organize a sermon and get on a dharma, dharmasana and start preaching. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you, know, you can be a living, walking, exemplary character to them. You know, if when you if you, when things go wrong, things go against plan, right? And if you become angry and you get agitated and you start throwing a hissy fit, right? Then any sermon you preach is not worth half its salt. It's not worth it. But if you can conduct yourself in a way that people start to ask questions, how did you manage to do that when you know that guy was just thrashing at you. How did you manage to stay so calm? What's the secret? Now, get them to ask you the question and then you can give the answer. Wait for the question. Then you're safe. Then no one will tell you you're trying to convert people to Buddhism. No one will tell you, you are just answering a question. When people are being savage, towards you. Keep your cool. And you can't, I'm not asking you to force yourself to keep your cool. I'm asking you to reflect on the Dhamma. 
because forcing yourself to keep yourself cool is again you know you're 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 being tortured it's like you know someone's cutting you up into pieces and i'm saying don't scream that's not what i'm asking you to do reflect reflect on the truth reflect on anicca reflect on dukkha reflect on anatta in your hands these blocks they took shape didn't they and you know that their shape was determined by the energy that you exerted on it do you agree for as long as that energy was in was there in those pieces that arrangement was there that is a manifestation so now you understand hopefully what a manifestation is that manifestation changed when another energy was exerted on it Do you recall that happened? So initially, I gave you three pieces. Energy manifested a certain representation, yeah, and then we transferred it to somebody else, meaning a change in energy. And what happened then? The arrangement changed. Now it's another manifestation. If I, if we were to pass it on to somebody else and ask them to do the same, the same thing would have happened. so now do you see the same pieces when applied a change in energy now you get a different manifestation after all it came from the same bag and it went back to the same bag now that is what you all are i encourage you to look at yourselves in that way start start to see yourself in that way so when i ask you who are you you won't you you probably won't be able to help yourself from thinking that i am so and so i am this person i am this identity and so on right you won't be able to help yourself think that way but when you feel that way come to your senses your practice of the dhamma is that that is practice in practicing the dhamma how do you practice riding a bike you know if you've ridden a bike for a period of time i say you've ridden a bike for a year you don't need riding it let me say say four weeks how long does it take you to get used to it and not fall off a bike generally a few days yeah it doesn't take you a few months it takes you a few days right maybe say four days five days a week okay just to keep it simple a week of practicing will keep you on your bike when you're on that bike you're no longer practicing now you can't say i'm practicing to be on my bike when does the practicing happen leading up to those five leading up to the end of the week right meaning when you fall yeah so when you stop falling the practicing can stop now what are you here for to practice the dhamma yeah so what should you expect to happen fall when we talk about falling there are two concepts there's falling backwards and there's falling forwards learn to fall forwards falling forwards means you learn from every fall falling backwards means you count your losses oh i fell back no fall forward that is a definitely there is a difference in perspective that's having a positive attitude to absolutely everything fall forward whenever you fall 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 delightfully be ready to fall be prepared to fall be happy that you fell because it gave you a chance to practice 
But seldom do you people see people like that. They think of that a fall is the end all. Is you know, is the end of all of it. No. Not if you have the right attitude. Fall forward. Think of every fall as an opportunity to grow. So in your life, ladies and gentlemen, when you go back, when you're in society, when you're at home, when you're at the workplace, right, you will fall. Be ready and prepared for that. It's okay to fall. Are you prepared to fall? Good. It's okay to fall. All I ask you to do is fall forward. Don't fall backwards. So you will get angry. Anger will happen. Annoyances will happen. Hmm? Sensual lust will happen. It'll happen. It's all right. When it happens, just take a deep breath and remind, remind yourself of these words. Swami Nuhasa said, it's all right. Well, if Swami Nuhasa said, it's all right, then surely it should be all right. Have faith. Have faith in the Sangha. You know, ladies and gentlemen, we are not perfect human beings. I'm talking about myself here. I'm just a man in a robe trying to do what's right. That's all I am. How are we so different? You're a man in a shirt trying to do what's right, sir. I'm a man in a robe trying to do what's right. We're not so different. I'm not a perfect human being. That is why I need my teacher. Because when there are times that I fall and I'm not sure which way is forward, hmm? which way is falling backwards, which way is falling forward, when I'm not sure, I run to my teacher and ask him, Sir, I fell. Which way was forward? Which way is backward? Then he reminds me, that way is forward. Ah, thank you. And I say, well done falling. It's okay to fall. So there'll be times you'll fall, right? Chillax. You can't relax? Chillax. No? Take a chill pill. All right? Just relax. Right? There will be times you'll feel anger, you'll feel jealousy. Right? These things will happen to you. You'll feel, you'll feel an, you know, a strong sense of ego. I'm better than all of them. Or you might feel a sense of inferiority. No? Like you will feel like cuddling yourself and going hiding yourself in the corner because everyone else is better than you. You know, when those things happen in your mind, folks, just take a deep breath and remind yourself that on this day I told you, it's all right, it's okay. You fell. Fair enough. Let's fall forward. Just fall forward. Mistakes will happen. Sometimes you will do things you promised yourself, I will never do this again in my entire life. I am now a virtuous man. I will not do this yet again. Never again. Lo and behold, two days later, you've done it. And then you think to yourself, what's the point? I'm a useless person. 
I can never do this. See, I proved to myself I can never do this. Like, this can never be done. I'm a worthless person. I'm a useless person. I might as well give up. How dare you give up in a world where people have never even tried doing what you did? How dare you give up? If someone who's tried and failed gives up, what hope is there for people who haven't even tried? Huh? I ask you, what hope is there for people who haven't even tried? Who haven't even started yet? They look up to you, don't they? They look up to you. So it's all right. It's all right to fail. But when you do, come back to your senses as soon as possible and reflect on the truth. Bring your senses, bring your, get your bearings right, straight and then start to contemplate on anicca. Because this is the medicine that's going to heal you. We talk about Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara and Vinyana. Your mind is just that. Now, until now, I, I was talking about this body and how you identify yourself as this body. Let's talk about the mind for a second. The mind is an instrument. This voice recorder is an instrument. What does it do? It records. The pen is an instrument. What does it do? It writes. The duster is an instrument. What does it do? It is used to erase, to rub something off, right? It's an instrument. In much the same way, the mind is an instrument. What does it do? It minds. That's what it does. The mind is an instrument to mind. You say, mind the chair, mind the gap between the train and the platform. Hmm? Mind. Mind your own business. Mind where you go in. Mind where you put your foot. See, we say mind. We use this verb all the time, right? Mind. Meaning, Rupa Vedana Sanya Sankara Vinyana. What else is mind? Think about the minding process. Think about what you understand when I say the verb, not the noun. Okay? Now I'm talking. This is an English lesson. Mind as a verb. Think of mind as a verb. Forget the mind where, where you might think it is, whether it's here, 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 bottom. <laughs> Who cares? Put it to a side. Think about minding as a verb. Okay? Now, if I ask you to mind something, can you mind the child, please? We call them child minders. Mind where you're going means don't bump into anything. So to mind where you're going, what must you do? Rupa Vedana Sanya Sankara Vinyana. In other words, you must receive what's, what you see. Hmm? You must observe them, receive them. You must register that it's there. You must recognize what it is you've seen. You must respond. And finally, the aggregate of all of that. You must perceive what has just happened. Receiving, registering, recognizing, responding and perceiving. Rupa Vedana Sanya Sankara Vinyana. 
this is what happens in this body of yours right now. I throw sounds at you and you are busily and happily carrying on, receiving, registering, recognizing, responding and perceiving. Each thought that occurs, this is what happens. As it passes away, it stops for a brief moment only to be quickly taken up by another thought. So you are nothing, now I'm talking about the mind, than a fleeting series of thoughts. That is what you are. This is why I ask you, why are you talking about the thing you did yesterday as if you did it? How dare you feel guilty? People fight for animal rights. I fight for people who feel guilty. Stop being an animal. Don't, there's no reason to be, to be feeling guilty. And in the, in, the, in the same vein, there's no reason to take, to take pride in something you've done. See, good or bad, if in this moment it's just a thought that has arisen in your mind and that, that thought never occurred previously, this is the first time in whole history, in all time that it has occurred, how dare this thought, this thought either take blame or credit for something that was done in the previous thought? Can you take credit for your father's good work? Can you? Well, you can say, we are, we are also from the Vanigasekara family. That much you can say. Well, you're just a descendant. But that doesn't give you any authority or any liberty to take credit for your father's good work. But what if your father's a criminal? Should you be imprisoned? Should you? Are you up for that? Well, then no man would be out of prison. Would <laughs> huh? Everyone would be in prison then. I suppose that's where you are. Each thought to its own. Now see if you can see yourself in that way. If I ask you, who are you? You should simply be able to say this. This is all you are. Nothing more and nothing less. I'm not talking about the body now, right? We've done that chapter, moving on. This is chapter two. This is all you are. There was a way this came into being and there is a way that this will cease to be. But for, its, for the duration of its existence, this is all you are. Do you see a human being? Tell me if you see a man here. Anyone? See a man? How about a woman? Hmm? How about a deva? Or a puppy? A cow? A goat? Hmm? What do you see? No, don't tell me a curvy line. <laughs> what am I talking about? I'm just talking about a thought moment. You know, there's all this talk about living in the moment. This is that moment. 
Because in this moment, all there is is a thought. The reason you can't relate to this is because previous to this thought was another thought. And previous to that was another thought. Okay? But in each of these thoughts, in addition to what it's supposed to do, ignorance and attachment, piggybacking on this, hijacking this, does its dirty on it. What does it do? It creates jati. Don't worry if you don't fully understand what I'm talking about just now. I'll explain. But now I just want you to understand this. Your mind at its birth is pure. You know how we say, by the power of these merits, may this land, may we be able to see the advent of many hundreds of thousands of Rahatan Mahanses and Rahat Teranin Mahanses in this very life itself. Shall I help you do that? Ready? Ta-da! Rahatan Mahanse was born. You don't believe me? The moment I did that, Rahatan Mahanse was born. Because the mind, as it comes into being, it's pure. A pure mind is a Rahatan Mahanse. What else? You know very well, you know, your attaining to arahathood is nothing, it's not going to make any change to your physical form, right? Whatever you see right now is what's, uh, what's going to be. So the, the thing that we are trying to cleanse is the mind. Okay? So if the mind is pure, that's an arahant's mind. In other words, an arahant mind. Not an arahant's mind, but an arahant mind. It's an adjective. An arahant mind. An arahant mind is a mind that is free of defilements, that is free of the cankers, that is free of ignorance, and is free of, free of attachment, free of vexation. So when that sound was made, that, an object was placed in this environment which is conducive to the birth of a mind, and that object generated what we call a chitta, a thought if you like. You can call it maybe a, a mind instance. You can call it a mind, a mind instance. Whatever you understand is, is a better fit for it. I don't care. As long as you understand what I'm talking about. You can call it a cat if you want. Whatever floats your boat, right? This is a chitta. This is a mind. It, was, it came about to do what? Mind. That's what it came to do. Mind. Mind what? This sound. Because you see, when this happens in the environment, there needs to be an instrument to register what has happened. You know, if there were no minds, things would just be happening and no knowledge of it would be there. One day I'll explain to you why a mind came about in the first place. But not yet. We'll talk about that later. You know, where it all started. Not necessarily how it all started, but Perhaps why it all started? Why you are there today here? You know, where, where, did it, where did it all start? Why did it all start? We are beginning to find some answers to these questions. But they are not, they are not the important questions. Although, 
a brief or a, a, a you know a brief understanding of it is helpful just to recognize and realize what you're doing right now see the mind does that what does it do it mines and it mines an event that happens now when i say the word mind i want you to try and think about the verb not the noun okay okay so when i say mind i want you to think about the verb minding means to be cognizant of something to recognize something to but you know of course recognition is not the only thing that the mind does it has to receive it has to register it has to recognize it has to respond and perceive right this totality this aggregate is what i want you to think about when i say the word mind so can you not mind this when you mind this what are you doing you receive it right your eye your brain your nerves right they all play a part in taking an image of this and putting it down here where thoughts are born this is called the mind environment okay where a mind can be born so it drops it there which is the receiving part once it is received it has to register something's happened something's happened you don't necessarily know at that point what has happened but something has happened the what has happened has to come after doesn't it some first you need to know that something has happened now you need to find out what has happened that comes immediately after what has happened and once you realize what has happened now the next thing you need to do is respond to that that is the next part you need to respond to it see this you know you have to see it you know you have to see this right that is why you're seeing it you're looking at this knowing that you have to this is something to be to be done what with seen i'm talking about something really subtle here okay this is something to be seen how about this noise the, the my voice something to be heard that in itself is part of sankara what is to be done with it if i place a piece of ice, uh, chocolate on your tongue what needs to happen tasted part of sankara and then when you take all of that together now you know what this is you know that this looks like a flower you know what it's what's to be done with this right the full package is how you perceive this if if you took out any one of those components in any one of those elements you no longer perceive this you you know when i hold this beetle leaf up in my hand you know exactly you know you know everything you need to know about this don't you you know it's a leaf you may not know it's a beetle leaf you still know it's a leaf if you don't know it's a leaf you at least know it's an object even if you didn't know this is the first time in your life you're seeing a leaf fair enough you still know that this is an object an object to be seen see you still know what to do with it you'll know it's green right it has a shape yeah so all of these things you mind again mind here is the verb you mind this now that is what is happening right now right now where you are on that chair minding is going on 
I'm throwing my arms here, there, everywhere, trying to <laughs> trying to get this point across to you. I would dance here if I could, if that would help me <laughs> make it make it better clearer to you. Mind, huh? That's what's going on. Now, this is all there is in this moment. This is not there in this moment. I have just put thought moments on a timeline. So if this is now, this is not now. This was the moment previously. This is the moment previous to that. This is the present moment. Okay? Now, in this present moment, Say you've heard a sound, that sound is being minded, okay, that sound, no, minded, that sound is being minded in this present moment, right, so therefore it is received, it is registered, it is recognized, it is responded to, and it is perceived. All of that happening in one mind moment. But there's something else that's going on. This mind environment is defiled. So I'm going to throw, show, show a defilement in a different color. It's defiled. What is the defiling? Ignorance is the defiling. What is ignorance? Ignorance is not understanding what's going on here. You know, that's the only thing in this world that doesn't understand itself. What is it? The mind. The mind is the only thing in this world that doesn't understand itself. You know, a rope knows it's a rope. A pen knows it's a pen. I mean, you can't know, but what I'm saying is it'll only do what a pen can do, right? Have you ever seen this do anything that a pen can't do? Or that can only be, can be done by something other than a pen? No, this will only do what a pen can do. Right? The fan will only do what the fan can do. The mic will only do what the mic can do. But a mind does more than what the mind is supposed to do. Because it is the only thing in this world that is capable of misunderstanding itself. An ignorant mind is just that. It doesn't know its purpose. Its purpose is to mind. But then... It does some more. Because a mind can be made ignorant. Ignorant of what? Ignorant of its function. Ignorant of its purpose. Ignorant of its role. So when a mind thinks it's more than, its purpose is to more than mind something, it wants to separate. Like what you did earlier. I gave you a bag and what you started to do the moment you dipped your hand into it, you started to separate, didn't you? Three at a time, you started to separate it. Didn't you? Three pieces at a time, you separated it. And so by the time it reached the end of the room, there was no more left. Because it was all separate. You separated it. When the mind... Now, you see, when you dipped your hand into that bag, okay? Now, I, I, I gave you green color and I, I gave you the other bag that was different colors. Now, especially the people right at the front, they would have had a choice. Maybe towards the end you had no choice. Whatever was given, you took. But at the beginning, there were lots of plenty of pieces in the bag, so therefore you had choice. 
And when you had a choice, you might have chosen the pieces. Maybe there was a color that you wanted to avoid. Maybe there was a color that you preferred to have. There was also a green bag. In this green bag, you couldn't choose color because there's only one color. You are able to choose because in this bag, you have a variety of colors. Yeah, I'm trying to get across a subtle point to you. So see if you can follow what I'm trying to explain to you here. In this bag, there was only green. So you couldn't choose. You just dipped your hand into it and took out whatever came out of it. But in this bag, you had choice. So therefore, you might have gone in and went, oh, I don't like black. I'll take the blue ones. Actually, I don't like the blue. I, like, I, I think I'll take the pink ones. Maybe I'll take a white one. You did that. Now, go back in that example. See if even for a moment you've spotted yourself trying to do that. You went in there and thought, mm, which one? See, you got <laughs> But you couldn't do that with this bag because they're all the same color. So you see, here, what I'm trying to mimic is the separation that you have done in your mind. When you don't separate, you just went in blindly and took up. I could have asked you to close your eyes and dip into this bag and it would have made no difference. But with this bag, it made a difference because you had a color that you liked. Maybe there was a color that you tried to avoid. Now, in a different environment, I would usually do an activity with something like this. So we teach the concept of unconscious bias. You know, we have a leadership program at the monastery. So we teach our young people to go on to become future leaders of our organization as well as the world out there. So there's an activity that I do with uh, Swami Nuhansis and uh, Anagarika Mahatmis and so on, teaching them unconscious bias. So what we do is we give them a bag of different colored building blocks. Okay, so you see, we are a university here. We teach leadership. We give them a bag of building blocks and we ask them, we split them up into different teams, a number of teams, and we ask them to make a figure out of those pieces. So they work as a team, but we'll take one member of each team outside and we take, talk to them privately and we ask them to be the saboteur. We tell them to deliberately Take out one color without giving it out to the rest of the team. So they shouldn't be able to identify that there's a hidden agenda going on here. That is their challenge. So once we give them that task, they come back into the room, they go back and sit, sit back in their teams, and then they start taking apart. So they are asking to build a train, for instance, right? Then so the person who's a saboteur, if it's uh, say pink, that is a color they should avoid. When they when they start making the train, they'll take out the pink parts. They'll they'll put it they'll put it away. They'll hide it. 
Huh? Or when the train is being made, they'll take it apart and they'll put it out and say, no, that color is not nice. Let's try another color. I'm trying to teach them the concept of unconscious bias. But here, of course, it's conscious. But we are trying to mimic unconscious bias. So in the end, we ask, right, how was that exercise? What was the experience? And you ask the other members in the, in the group, how did you feel about this person's <coughs> contribution? So then they'll say, you know, it felt like they were always trying to take out one particular color. They don't know why, but they always tried to do it. And because they were a senior, I just complied. Sometimes you get that. Sometimes they'll just say, it's just because it's ugly. Let's leave it to a side. Let's, let's work with the rest of them. Okay, if it's ugly, let's leave it to a side. So in that example, in that activity, I'm trying to show individuals how biases work in the mind. So the saboteur is the person with the bias. I don't like this person. I don't like that person. I don't like white. I don't like black. Huh? I don't like people of color. I don't like men. I don't like women. I don't like the elderly people. I don't like young people. Right? This is what you have in society. So then they take that color out, trying to build something without that color. So you were able to do that with this, but you weren't able to do that with this because it's all the same color. So when you start seeing color, meaning when you start seeing differences, now you are able to separate one from the other. Now you are able to pick. Now there are pieces that you like and there are pieces that you don't like in this because you see different colors. But when I show you this, there isn't a piece that you like and neither is there a piece that you dislike. You can tell me, Swaminas, I like green. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm, telling, I'm saying amongst the pieces in here, in this bag, there can't be a piece that you like more than the other. There can't be a piece here that you dislike more than the other. But in this bag, you can. Why? Because you see them as separate colors. Now let's go back to the mind. The mind is simply, now I'm talking about the noun mind. The mind's purpose is simply to mind, again the verb. And the mind does that simply by receiving, registering, recognizing, responding, and perceiving. These are the five functions that a mind has to perform in order to do its job. And nothing more. But it does. Because of ignorance. Just in the same way that you are able to pick a color that you like in this bag, the mind is able to pick certain rupa, certain vedana, sanya, sankara, and vijnana of his choosing, and others it tries to avoid. You say, I don't like this, but I like this. See what happens then. When the mind goes, I like this and I don't like this, immediately you know that it's already done the separation part, right? If I asked, if I gave you this bag, ladies and gentlemen, I ask you to separate this into two groups, okay? Not three. There are pieces of four colors in here, okay? If I ask you to separate this into two groups, one of the easiest things you could do is separate it into the colors that you like and the colors that you dislike. You can't go by color because there are four colors here. Yeah, so, but you can do by like and dislike. In the same way, when Rupa Vedana, Sanya, Sankar, and Vinyana happen in the mind, which is basically, you know, don't be thrown away by these words. Rupa Vedana, oh my God, they're big words. They're not big words. They're simply, this is simply the function of the mind. To give you an analogy, when you cook, 
right? Say if you had to cook something, right? Cook, say, potato. There are certain things you have to do before you can actually take it off the fire and, you know, serve it, right? First, you have to pick the potatoes from the bag, wash them, right? Boil them, peel them, right? And then put it, get it onto the fire, put the water and cook it, and then you can serve it. So these are various steps along the way before you can eat it. Yeah, in the same way, the mind, there are certain things that have to happen before perception happens. Meaning, before you know that this is a pen, there are certain things that have to happen internally. The simplest example of that is, if I presented to you an object that you didn't know, you'd get stuck. That is the best example I can give you. If I showed you something that you didn't know, you'd get stuck some point. Which point would that be? Recognizing, exactly. From there forward, you can't go. If I showed you something that you didn't know what to do with it, you'd get stuck at Sankara. But if I asked you to close your eyes and then showed you something, where would you be, you'd be stuck then? At receiving, at Rupa. See? So all these things have to happen before you can perceive this as a pen. So it's a collection. It's a joint effort. It's not a one-man band. Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara and Vijnana, they work together to help you live. That is what the mind is. Now what happens is, when ignorance takes hold, when ignorance takes hold, there are certain Rupas that you like more than others. How is that possible? Because you first separate out Rupa. Once separation happens, now liking and disliking can happen. Yeah? Once separation can happen, liking of Rupa and disliking of Rupa can happen. Once separation happens, liking of Vedana and disliking of Vedana can happen. And the same for Sanya, the same for Sankara, and the same for Vinyan. That's why Raga and Dvesha are both based in Moha. It's so much so that it would be right to refer to Raga as Moha Raga. So much so that it would be right, perfectly fine, to refer to Dvesha as Moha Dvesha. Moha that springs out of, sorry, Dvesha that springs out of Moha. Therefore, Moha Dvesha. Moharaga. That is the truth. See, I'm talking about what hap what's happening to you right now. You might sometimes struggle to wonder. You, 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 might, you, be, you might be wondering, why is it that I like some things? Why, why is it I don't like other things? You know, and when, I, when things that I don't like happen, then I get annoyed. I, get, I, get, you know, I go silly, mad, and angry, and you know, it just takes away my peace of mind. How do I stop this from happening? I'm giving you the answers, ladies and gentlemen. I'm giving you the answers to your life's miseries. And the same goes when you, when you feel delighted about something. Your delight is based in your raga, which is based initially in moha. First, you have to be able to separate, and then you can say, I like what I have separated. So that is what is going on in the mind. The Rupa, the Vedana, the Sanya, Sankara, and the Vinyana, whose purpose is simply to mind, okay? Whose purpose is simply to help you mind. If you just did that, you'd be minding your own business. The mind would be minding its own business, but it doesn't do just that. It runs on a platform of ignorance. And what does ignorance say? Separation is possible. Separation is doable. Separation is pleasurable. Separation is essenceful. Separation is magnificent. 
separation has to be done. Let's go do it. So just like if you have a pair of gla colored glasses on, everything you see, you see in that color. When separation is good, whatever happens in the mind, now you see that as a separate happening to everything else in this world. Which is why I've been telling you all these days, when you see this pen, this pen is separate from everything else in this world. This is a pen and nothing else. And nothing in, else in this world is this pen. You fail to see this as an arrangement of matter. You see this as an individual pen. When you took those pieces out of this bag and you gave it your personality, you extended, you know, it was an extension of yourself when you had it in your hand, right? Then it became part of you. When that happens, you fail to, you fail to see that this all came from the same bag. Just think about it, you know, go back in time when you did that experiment. When it was in your hand and you made your own shape, right? It was an extension of you. In the same way that your child is an extension of you. See, when you use these pieces and you make an object, right? Isn't that, isn't that the same thing you've done with your child? Hmm? If this is simply energy bringing together some matter, what is your child? Energy bringing together matter. It's the carrot you ate last week. So therefore, when, you know, if someone is to, to treat this, this, this thing that you make with love and respect, you feel delighted. You feel happy about it. You feel affection. You, you reciprocate those feelings to them. And, now, and then when they started taking it apart, tearing it out, hmm, thrashing it, beating it, hitting it, stamping on it, stepping on it, now you feel that they are attacking you because you, you extended yourself onto that object. And that is what you've done with your children also. Children with their parents, with their friends, with their cousins, with their relations, with their grandparents, with everything that you have a connection to. Because you, you mold this sense of belonging in your mind. Find the piece that belongs to you, if you can. An hour ago, you said that piece belonged to me. Find it if you can. But you have to find that very piece. Go on. I dare you. You can't. But whilst it was in your hand, you said that is my piece. That is why when the other person, when the person sat next to you, started taking it apart, you felt that pain inside. Ah, don't do that. Don't do it so hard. Do it gently. You felt that. This is not natural. What you went through there is not natural. It is all the making of ignorance and attachment. What is ignorance again? Put it very simply. Separation is possible, doable, it's plausible, it's essenceful, it's pleasurable. Let's go do it. Now, I have one last thing to show you before we conclude. Otherwise, you might have wondered why does Swami Nuhanse have bag full of colored blocks and a bag full of just green blocks. Don't worry, I have the answers. 
This is all of you, huh? Long, long, long time ago, when the earth was very young, and when no man roamed the earth, when it was just, everything was just all just the same. Can you see it? Can you see that from where you're sat? When everything was just the same, there were no differences. It was just stuff. Same stuff. Okay? See, when everything is the same, there's only one thing you can do right now to this. Hopefully this will give you a just a bit of a Just something to think about why the mind must have come into being. When all there is is just stuff and they're all the same, okay? There's only one thing you can do with this lot right now. What do you think that is? There is nothing else you can do to something that is the same. Nothing else can be done. So, the, so any instrument you bring here, that instrument can only do one thing. There's no point bringing a hammer here, or a screwdriver, or a blender, or an oven. There's no point bringing any of that. Because if all this, if everything is just this, if it's just energy, just pure energy, yeah, there's only one thing that you can do. That is to separate. For that, you have to mind. Let me mind for you. Why do I say this is minding? Think about it now. Receive. Register. Okay? Recognize. Respond. And perceive. Put it back together. Now, for a... For, for this activity, assume that nothing exists outside the boundary of these blocks. So this table doesn't exist here. Okay? All there is are these blocks. Okay? Now if all there is are these blocks, you don't know anything else. It's like when you close your eyes, all there is is what? Darkness. So there is nothing else when you close your eyes. Yeah? You can't say there's blue and there's white and there's orange and there's green. When you close your eyes, there's just darkness. Right now, nothing else exists here except for the blocks. And I want you to play along with me so you can get, I can get the point across to you. There is nothing else other than the blocks here. If there is nothing else other than the blocks here, you can't receive 
an event. Because nothing's happened. An event hasn't happened yet. So if, there's an, if, if no event has happened, then you can't register an event. What can you register? An event. An event has to happen before you can register it. An event has to happen before you can recognize it. Recognize the event. You know, on news, they tell you about things that have happened, right? They can't tell you if nothing's happened. If nothing ever happened in this world, then they'd have no news. They'd have no newspapers. They'd have no news that ate whatever. They, don't, they won't have that. They have the news because things happen. Now, if all there was was this and everything was the same, nothing's happening. So there's nothing to mind. Let's bring ignorance along. This is ignorance. Okay? Now, ignorance thinks, so this thinks that separation is possible, that minding is possible, that once you separate, you can mind, because you have to separate to mind. Minding helps you separate, separation helps you mind. That's how it works. So, if this is ignorance. What ignorance can do is, it can bring down its hard, hard arm and do that. Now, an event has happened. Now you can register that something's happened. Now you can receive what has happened. Now you can recognize what has happened. Now you can respond to what has happened. Because you can say, you see, you can say, this is the smaller pool, this is the larger pool. How can you talk about size when there is no separation? Hmm? If I put this back together again, which one's the bigger one, which one's the smaller one? Hmm? Now tell me then, why do you feel ego? Separation. Shall I create ego? Let me create ego. What do I need? The cleaver of ignorance. Ego. I am bigger than you and I am smaller than you. How about this? You are the same. All because of separation. Superior, inferior, and we are equal. All because of separation. So just because you feel that you are the same as somebody else, don't think that that is <laughs> wisdom. We are on an equal platform. That is not, that is not wisdom. You and I, we are the same. You know, that is why I, I am not... I am not in favor of fighting for these right business. Because what, is, what do people ask for? Give, me, give us the same as them, so that we are all the same. That I don't see as wisdom. Because to perceive that they have more or they have less than us, you have already separated yourself. What you're trying to do is, don't let it be like that. We're not asking for that either. We're asking for that. We are, we are both the same. To be same, you have to be separate. To be more, you have to be separate. To be less, you have to be separate. To be the same, again, you have to be separate. That is not what Buddhist philosophy talks about. 
that is why i am not a propagandist towards things like you know fighting for these rights fighting for those rights you know more for them more for these more for other people that's not our business here we are not trying to de- we're not trying to tackle you know social inequality that is not what we are here to do we're not saying give the poor people equal rights as the rich people that's not what we are here to do let the men and women walk on the same platform that's not what we are here to do to put blacks and whites on the same platform that's not what we are here to do we see a different problem we see a much bigger problem an overarching problem a problem that transcends all problems the problem of separation this is how it is this is how you think it is this is your thinking your ignorance the moment you take that out so like this so you see the mind came into being to mind separation that's what the mind came into being to mind a sight previously there was you know this is not a sight this is just energy but if you are to pick one out it has to be either a sight or a sound or a smell or a taste or a touch or a thought otherwise you're just going to have to pick energy you can't do that because it's it's inseparable but when it's a sight it can be separated from a sound when it's a smell it can be separated from a taste that is what the mind is therefore it's a tool to artificially separate what cannot be separated of course yeah yeah it's always it, it it always was it always is and it always will be it is never going to be separate that is why you know what does an arahant do <laughs> you know becoming an arahant is not about releasing all this you know and and putting it all back together releasing all that he has made separate and putting it all back together that is not what an arahant is an arahant is an is a realization that he was never separate in the first place this is why i've been going on about you know there is there is nothing you need to let go there's nothing you need to let go you just need to realize that there was nothing to let go you think you've done this but you haven't it's like drawing a line in the water you think you've drawn a line it looks like a line has been drawn but the water is still the water it's all the same water you've not separated it this is all the same but an ignorant mind thinks that this is separable so when it thinks it's separable it starts separating it says this is mine that's a sight this is mine it's a sound this is mine it's it's taste and so on if i would take it all back and put it in there now go find the sight again impossible so i think i've said too much for today whatever amount of merits you have to that to that degree you will understand what i'm trying to express to you here but don't fear because this is the first time i've perhaps tried to explain something like this to you and you know you will continue all you need to do is to try and make an effort try and make an effort to understand and the most important part is whatever bit you have understood i need you to go start applying it that's when you start understand the other part 
the rest of it. If you understand one plus one, go see. Or if you understand addition, go doing addition. Don't worry that you don't understand multiplication. You will eventually understand it, but only if you work out the the addition problems. That's just a simple analogy. So whatever you have understood today, right? Whatever you understood yesterday, last week, and so on. your application of it will make you a suitable candidate it will qualify you to understand what's next and what's next and what's next i didn't come into a robe understanding all this this is all through continued and deliberate practice this realization will help you all become free and it will because it has helped us to be able to do that today i don't see bad people and good people i don't see men women like i know you know there are men there are women that is simply a convention inside you are just that so whether you are a mother crying for a child or the child crying for the mother to me i don't care if i can send any one of you to nibbana that's that's where I, that's where my effort is let's i'll give you a very simple example before i conclude let's say let's say one of you comes into the sasana okay say this gentleman comes into the sasana he has a son at home let's imagine right and when the gentleman came to the sasana everybody was happy they were delighted and they offered the the man to the sasana but now the child says i want you i can't be without you at this point right if the man feels that i am the father then inside he won't be able to stop himself from feeling i have to go home to look after my child and the child feels that of course because the child is not in the dhamma so of course you, that is to be expected if i am to have an opportunity to talk to the gentleman in my eyes all i see are two minds one at home one here i don't see father i don't see child whichever mind is more capable of achieving to nibbana reaching to nibbana that is where my effort will be whatever other separations you experience as a mother father child cousin nephew brother sister husband wife you know these are all creations of your own fantasy land i am not willing to take part in that you can do it all on your own we see beyond that we see ailing minds suffering because of ignorance and attachment that is where we deal that is where we tackle that is where we address i i know that you can get there eventually step one step at a time you can get there and once you get there you will be able to see past all these little problems that you have today if i ask you know if i if i actually said you know you are all welcome to join the sasana come tomorrow some of you will be readily prepared to do that others will say yeah yeah Samanas I have this person to look after that person to look after this my son to look after his daughter to look after husband to look after wife to look after the other wife to look after I have so all these people to look after right I can't do this I, I if not for them I would have come if not for them I would have come hmm? see what you're sacrificing is your chance for to to nibbana a free ticket to nibbana you're sacrificing that listening heeding to something that ignorance tells you if you don't make that journey then both of you will rot in the same pot 
But if one of you makes that jump, then one mind is saved. Because to me, all minds are equal. Just like these pieces. I don't care more about the child or more about the parent. I don't care more about the husband or more about the wife. In fact, I don't care more about the homosexuals or the heterosexuals. I don't care more about the criminals or about the victims. To me, they're all the same. They're all the same. Bring me victims, bring me criminals. Put them in the same room, I'll talk to them. Bring me men, bring me women, I don't care. Give me straight people, give me gay people, I don't care. Give me blacks and whites, I don't care. Muslims and Christians and Buddhists and Hindus. I don't see those differences. <laughs> Is that my fault? I don't see those differences. All I see are there are minds trapped inside ailing bodies and those minds are ailing because of ignorance. I have the medicine to heal that. That is wisdom. That is what I'm doing here. Do I check you? Do I vet you before I come and get you to come and sit here? Do I ask you to submit an application to see how suitable you are? Do I ask you, have you, have you committed murder? Have you committed robberies? Hmm? Have, you, have you bullied anyone? Are you a womanizer? Are you a philanderer? Or are you a philanthropist? I don't care. Do you have a mind? Well, then we have business to talk. I'm telling you, I'm able to see that in those terms today because I see the world in this way. Anicca has helped me do that. Dukkha and Anatta has helped me do that. The Dhamma has helped me do that. My teachers held my hand and brought me on this journey. Thanks to them, I'm able to do that. You can do the same. Where you see no separation. Where you see all as one. Not talking about sight. I'm talking about through wisdom. Right. Time's up for today. So think about these things and doesn't, don't worry yourself if you haven't understood too much or all of what I have explained to you today in future talks. I'll give you more examples, more metaphors, similes, analogies, whatever it is that you need to understand this truth. And so engage in merits. Okay, whose merits? Your merits. Bring your merits here. Because it is your merits that is the currency for which I can exchange. In this exchange, in this bureau de change, right? You give me your merits and I give you the Dhamma. Nothing else matters here. Don't come here, show me your dollars. I can't, I, you can't sell this for dollars. <laughs> this can only be sold for merits. All right. Let us all take a moment then. To transfer the merits that we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, enchanting period listening to the Dhamma, and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching. And with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Sripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand, and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha, present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path 
and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us transfer these merits to Guru Swami Nuhanse, as well as all the other teachers resident at this monastery, the Anagarika and Anagarika communities attached to the monastery. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these talks, sharing them out with others, or inviting others to join them. And by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May by the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who contribute to the construction of the monastery, to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines. May by the power of these merits, if they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers and employees, and to all those who helped us, supported us and assisted us along the way. By the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May by the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer to the devas and brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Samadhisasana. Let us transfer these merits to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And by the power of these merits, may they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our ancestors who have predeceased us, to all those who have been our families, friends, and acquaintances in this infinite long journey of Sansara. May those who have helped us, supported us, and assisted us in any way, shape, or form. May they all rejoice in these merits. Let us transfer these merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation. And may all those who lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe rejoice in the merits we have acquired today. Let us transfer these merits to those who have lost their lives to natural calamities such as tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides, forest fires, earthquakes, pandemics and so on, reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey of samsara. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits to them May by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves to be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. That is resolved that may, by the power and blessings of all the maids we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants on this blessed land. And finally, by the power of the merits we have all acquired today, May you and I and everyone who's helped make this program a success become an Arahat in Vahanse, an Arahat Teran in Vahanse in this very life itself and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all. And the members of the Mahasangha will now transfer their blessings to you. <clears throat> Shagin,
सुख सुख 